Buy low, sell high. Very easy to say, but not always so easy to do. For example, high interest rates are hurting the real estate market right now. Demand is dropping and prices in a lot of markets are falling, even for many of the best assets. So it's no wonder the Fundrise flagship fund plans to go on a buying spree, expanding its billion-dollar real estate portfolio over the next few months. You can add the Fundrise flagship fund to your portfolio in just minutes and with as little as $10 by visiting fundrise.com pockets, fundrise.com pockets. Carefully consider the investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses of the Fundrise flagship fund before investing. This and other information can be found in the fund's prospectus at fundrise.com flagship. This is a paid advertisement. You ever feel like your vacation rental since empty too often? Missing out on potential income? Look, you're not alone. Many property owners struggle with underperforming bookings and the complexities of property management. But here's some good news. Vacasa outperforms other property managers in 92% of the markets they operate. They've helped homeowners like you increase their bookings by an average of 24%, turning those empty days into profitable opportunities. Want to see what your earnings could look like with Vacasa? Visit biggerpockets.com slash Vacasa, spelled V-A-C-A-S-A, and get a free personalized income estimate today. That's biggerpockets.com slash Vacasa. You're trying to close on your next rental, so why is your insurance company dragging its feet? With long lead times and never-ending paper forms, it's no wonder it takes forever to finally get a policy. Modern investors deserve better. They deserve Steadily.com. At Steadily.com, you'll get fast, affordable landlord insurance available online 24-7 in just a few clicks. You can even get next-day coverage, which takes just minutes, by the way, to obtain. And you can do it all from your phone. Steadily was founded by landlords who created insurance products tailored to the unique needs of this industry. It's their sole focus, and that's why landlords nationwide consistently rate them 4.8 out of 5 stars. So whether you've got a single family, short-term, or multifamily portfolio, Steadily.com can secure the best coverage at the best price to protect your properties. Discover how Steadily can save you both time and money on your rental property insurance. Visit Steadily.com for a commitment-free quote tailored to your needs today. What's up, everyone? Welcome to On The Market. I'm your host, Dave Meyer, joined today by Henry Washington, James Daynard, and Kathy Fecky. How are the three of you? Great. Doing good. Fantastic. Fantastic. We have a great show for you today. We're going to talk all about some of the regional differences in the housing market right now. As you probably know, there are huge differences from market to market, state to state, and each one of us is going to represent one region of the country. We're going to talk about some of the strengths, weaknesses, tactics, and strategies that work within each of those regions. So definitely stick around for that. But first, we do have a bit of housekeeping. If you listen to episode 100, you know that we did a bit of a contest. We asked everyone, all of our faithful listeners, to share their favorite on the market episode. And if they did that and screenshotted it, there was a winner going to be announced who got to pick a host to have a coaching call with. And we do have a winner. The winner for our contest is Dominic Grouso, whose favorite episode was number 97, which is basically me just rambling about the dollar dominance and reserve currencies for a while. But that was his favorite episode. I actually really enjoyed making that. So congratulations to Dominic. We'll have to have you pick one of our hosts for a coaching call. 
And thank you for listening to On the Market, all of you who participated in it. We really appreciate it. I'm sure this was in no way, shape, form, or fashion rigged that the person who won picked an episode that Dave just talked the whole time and Dave picked the winner, right? That's. <laughs> I mean, the, the, the it's so weird. The only ones that were nominated were just me talking all by myself. <laughs> None of you, no one even mentioned any of you guys in any of the. <laughs> any of that. That's because we're just your backup dancers, Dave. <laughs> no, not at all. Actually, we got so many different ones. It was pretty awesome to see how many, how just everyone had a different uh favorite episodes, which I think is a sign we're doing something right, right? That, that means we're doing good. Yeah. All right. Well, congrats to Dominic. Uh, before we get into our regional discussion, we are going to play a little bit of a game, too, to test everyone's knowledge of the housing market right now because things are changing so quickly. So I'm going to have you guys guess some housing market stats. They're pulled from the NAR report, National Association of Realtors, reflecting on March 2023 data. And just so everyone knows, we are recording this in May, but, you know, good quality Housing market data is usually like six weeks in the past. So that's what we're looking at here. All right. So I don't think you guys know these questions. So I'm going to start with an easy one. James, what was the median home price for existing home sales in March of 2023 across the entire country? I should know this. I'm thinking it's around 440. 440. Okay. Kathy? I already know this. So you should, I have to pass. (laughs) I would be cheating. All right. Henry? Yeah, I was going to say about 423,000. That's the number that popped in my brain. Okay. Well, you both shot high. It was actually 375,000. So it's actually come down a little bit. I think it was close to four when it peaked like last June and then it's come down. So that is pretty good. Actually, Henry and I had a conversation. He was talking about how the combination of slowly declining home prices and modestly declining mortgage rates have steadily improved affordability in the U.S. since October, which is encouraging. Can I just make one comment? Please. When I started, uh, you know, investing, it was 124000 <laughs> And so that was about, that was about, you know, 20 years ago. But the media price was 124000 So it's really like almost tripled. And I, I want people to really get that because lately, there's all this talk that inflation is something new. Guys, it's not new. It's here. It's here to stay. It's been here. And just in the time that I've been investing, which granted, okay, two decades, shut up. But <laughs> with that- You brought it up. <laughs> you will be there too someday. And, I, and just at a time when they weren't talking about inflation, you know, these home prices um, almost tripled. So that's why I am on a rampage to let people know like, if you don't get in the market, it's going to just keep getting harder. It's not going to get easier. That does seem to be the case, for sure. All right. So our second question, going on our theme of regions of the United States, what percentage of home sales occurred in the Western region of the U.S. in March of 2023? Kathy, what do you think? Oh, yeah, I do not know that one. Okay, so I have to guess. I am going to say a third. Okay. 33%. Such a bad guess. guess. Henry? I'm going to go with 16%. 16%. And James? (laughs) 17.4. Well, oh. I don't know why. No, that just did whatever you guys see. No, that just popped into my brain. I was was about to say Henry was so close, but then James, you just totally won up to him. It was 18%. (laughs) You just said 17.4. You just $1 me. $1, Bob. I promise you, that was 
a total guess. Go buy a lotto yeah. ticket. Someone <laughs> just pull that out. <laughs> All right. Well, Henry, I'll give you a chance to redeem yourself because this is sort of a, a play into our regional conversation. So uh, we're just talking about the volume of home sales and sort of where home activity and purchasing is going on right now. So let's talk about the South, which is what Henry is going to be representing. What percent of home sales were in the South in, I don't know, March of 2023? Is that what we're talking about? Yes. <laughs> uh, I'm going to go with 37%. Okay. Kathy? Oh, I guys, I'm obviously just really right on on this one. So I'm just going to follow Henry and say 31. All right, James, I'm giving you another chance to one-up Henry or Kathy. 23.4. I think it's closer to 40. I, I did it wrong. It was 47%. Wow. Half. Of the oh homes sold in the United States in March of 2023 was in the South. Comparatively, the Northeast was just 12% and the Midwest was 23%. I forgot the, the migration, man. Everybody moved to Florida and Texas. Yeah, it yep. doesn't seem like it's slowing down, even though home sales on a whole are a fraction of what they were about a year ago. Then, you know, the concentration is still in the South. We are going to get into these regional differences in just a minute, where Henry's going to be representing and sharing some information about the South with us. Kathy will be talking about the Midwest. I will be talking about the Northeast. And James will be talking about the West. So you all can get a better sense and understanding of what's going on in each of these regions and how to adjust your strategies and tactics accordingly. But first, we're going to take a quick break to hear from our sponsor, and then we'll be right back. I'm curious, have you been struggling to keep your vacation rental booked? I totally get it. It's tough to manage and keep filled. But we found something that really works. It's called Vacasa. They've seriously changed the game for a lot of the BP audience. In almost every market they're in, Vacasa manages to fill up the calendar more than anyone else. And get this, the average Vacasa user sees about 24% more bookings than with other managers. That's a lot of extra income. Curious to see what you could be earning? You can get a personalized income estimate right there. I think you'll be pleasantly surprised at what Vacasa can do for you. Check out biggerpockets.com slash Vacasa, spelled V-A-C-A-S-A. Biggerpockets.com slash Vacasa. This show is sponsored by Airbnb. Did you know that a long time ago, before I ever started my real estate business, I turned one of my first primary residences into an Airbnb? And that's the extra income that I needed from Airbnb that gave me the confidence to go out and work for myself and eventually quit my 9-to-5 job. And now I have dozens of Airbnbs all over the country. I've even partnered up with the old David Green on a recent property in Scottsdale to take our portfolio to the next level. And of course, we host it on Airbnb. But you don't need to be a full-time real estate investor to start on Airbnb. As a matter of fact, I was self-managing 10 properties while working my 9-to-5 job, so I know anybody can do it. Think about it this way. You're looking for extra income and going on a vacation. Wouldn't it be great to rent out your space and let your property pay for itself while you're gone? I did this one time. I pitched my wife and my roommate because we were house hacking on the idea of renting out our home, and it paid for all of our expenses on a trip to Mexico City. So go and give it a try. It might just change your life just like it did mine. And I really do mean that. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. For our regional discussion, we are going to start with me. We decided we were going to go east to west for some reason. I think Henry said something about Oregon Trail. So that's what we're going to be doing. Uh, <laughs> and we're going to start in the northeast. 
Basically, I, I wasn't exactly sure what states belong in the Northeast, so I kind of <laughs> just made this up. Uh, but I picked, when I did the analysis, I picked New Hampshire, Vermont, Maine, Massachusetts, Rhode Island, Pennsylvania, New Jersey, New York, and Delaware. So I think that's New England plus, I don't think New York, New Jersey, and Delaware are technically New England, but I threw them in anyway. And so basically what we're seeing here in these nine states, and it comes into about 56 metro areas is what I looked at. I think, I, you know, this is a spoiler. We'll have to confirm this. I think the Northeast probably has the most stable or maybe even the, the highest growth potential of any region in the United States right now. The, the indicators suggest pretty strong growth for the Northeast right now. So what I'm seeing is of the 56 markets that I analyzed, 46% of them are up year over year. And so that represents a very large percentage of all of the markets. When you look at inventory and you're trying to understand what's going on in the future, like is inventory going up, 95% of the housing markets in the Northeast still have inventory below pre-pandemic levels. And the average days on market is 32%, which sounds like a lot compared to the last couple of years, but is a relatively normal level. So before I go on, I'm curious what you think. Like Just based on those stats, how would you evaluate the Northeast as a, as a housing market region right now? Well, the livability and affordability has been driving that pretty heavily um, for what I understand um, I think there's definitely still growth. I, I mean, what we're seeing is the affordability markets, the ones that, I mean, I guess it depends on what segment of the Northeast you're really talking about. The more affordable quality of living, small towns seem to be growing rapidly still. But, you know, I think you got to really break it down into sub markets. I, I think they're going to continue to grow because what we're seeing is affordability is in high demand. I mean, if, if 46% of all the sales are happening in the South, well, the median home price is a lot lower in the South. And so, those Northeast markets, if they're in the same pricing, you know, th they're going to have the same growth potential as well. James, I couldn't agree more because when I was doing this research, what I was seeing is I looked at I looked at yearly data and I looked at uh, monthly data. And when you look at the monthly data, most sub markets across the country are seeing home values increase. Right. Um, even slight levels. And when you look at the yearly data, when we get to talking about the South, I'll talk more in, in, in detail about that. You can see in the South and the suburbs and the more rural communities that values have gone up. And so if you see that trend playing itself out across the Northeast, you're finding it. I think it's a good opportunity to go and you look at property that are surrounding some of these major cities and you can get in now and then start to see and start to get a uh, benefit from some of the increases that are happening uh, slightly month over month. One of the things that I, I've noticed is that when you look at the Northeast, obviously it's a big region. Like let, per James's point, a lot of the rural areas, are, they're not rural, they're cities near more rural parts of the country are seeing the strongest growth. So when you look at places like Portland, Maine or Burlington, Vermont or Concord, New Hampshire, they tend to be a little bit um, performing a little bit better. Uh, actually, Rochester, New York, where I went to college, uh, has a median home price of about $207,000. So that's, you know, a little bit more than half of the national average. So talk about affordability. Rochester is the number one market in the whole country for something called the sale to list ratio, which basically is how much over asking price um, properties are going for. 
In Rochester, they're still going for 7% over asking price. That's like what everything in the West was doing during the middle of the pandemic. So there's still markets in the Northeast that are affordable in in the less densely populated parts of the Northeast that are still in like full on bidding wars. Yeah. And I think it comes down to like, it's that common sense affordability. Like if you play the impact on rates when median home prices are a lot lower, right? Like if you're looking at a a mortgage rate that's 7% today on $250,000, that's a payment of $1,600 a month. At 5%, it's 1342. So in the consumer's mind, people have been spending money like crazy the last two years. It's just $250 more a month for your payment. Whereas if you do it on a $2 million house, that's a three to $4,000 a month more increase. And so these affordable markets are just grabbing people because it's, it's that perception of money or perception of what they have to spend, even though it's a percentage of income when you're working in those areas, it's still that hard reality that I have to pay $3,000 more a month for this house in a more expensive market, whereas in a cheaper market, 250 bucks doesn't really seem like much. You can cut out your DoorDash and get get it there. And so it's just one of those things where I think those markets, that's why the markets are are driving. Your DoorDash is only 250 bucks a month? No, my DoorDash is out of control. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Cutting out DoorDash. Let's <laughs> <slowly>. <laughs> Yeah. Whoa. Too much. Yeah. Let's... Uh... Let's make some real sacrifices. You cut out a lot before that. (laughs) (laughs) Well, one of the interesting dynamics here is obviously the affordability level of some of these, um, you know, I'm not going to say like they're like tertiary cities. They're not as common cities. Like we're not talking about New York and Boston, you know, uh, here, but a lot of the other big cities in the in the Northeast, like Philadelphia, are relatively affordable, for example, um, Providence, Rhode Island, the places in Connecticut um, are all relatively affordable. But what is seems to be really driving the sort of some of these price bidding wars and sort of keeping the prices up. And this is a national phenomenon, but I think it is most pronounced in the Northeast is just the lack of new listings. And this is how many people put their properties for sale. I looked this up in Burlington, Vermont. There, the amount of new listings was down sixty eight percent year over year 68 percent wow it's just unbelievable so even last year when there was very few things on the market if there were for every three homes that were on the market last year there's now only one of them and that's true in concord new hampshire portland maine allen pennsylvania bangor maine all over the place we're seeing this really interesting dynamic and so of course things could change but the way the data reads right now is that these parts of the country are going to have a very hot housing market this summer. Yeah, it's always confused me why the Northeast was afford it was considered affordable because I would always consider it like you said Dave like what what exactly is the Northeast? Uh, I would always consider it New York, Boston, you know, some of these really expensive places. Like how could that be affordable but everything around it is so cheap when you bring in Pennsylvania or you know the outskirts of New York. And you've got this pretty massive baby boomer population that doesn't have to live in those big cities anymore. They can choose to retire. Not everybody wants to retire in Florida. So there are a lot of a lot of affordable places um, outside of those big cities. And what I love about that East Coast area is it's very Euro in the sense of travel. You can jump on a train and be in those cities pretty easily. Just get out of the train and you're downtown. You don't have to drive. You know, we don't have that in the West. Uh, very what you know very much it's terrible you have to drive everywhere so you know people can still live in an affordable place but get into the city with those trains 
Yeah, absolutely. And and uh, the last thing uh, we'll say before we get out of here is um, there is sort of this narrative that people are leaving the Northeast. And there are certainly parts like New York City has lost some population. Uh, I'm not sure about Boston off the top of my head, but there are parts of the Northeast, especially like New Hampshire, Vermont, Maine, these, that are growing really quickly. Parts of Massachusetts are growing really quickly, too. Um, so, you know, we're doing this regionally to because we can't talk about every individual housing market one by one. Uh, but, uh, you know, what we're talking about here is mostly the non-New York, non-Boston parts of the Northeast. So that that's uh, if you want to know more about the bigger cities, you might want to jump into that. OK, Henry, let's move on. Let's talk about what's going on in the South. Yeah, man, this was this was cool research uh, to be able to look at. Uh and it's, uh, I mean, it's it's kind of surprising, but not really, because when you think about the South, what, we, what I did is I looked at home value um, uh, increases and decreases, and we looked at, um, I looked at it from a yearly perspective, and then and then from a monthly perspective to see uh, what the differences were. So when you look at the South and you look at the values from a yearly perspective, so looking at December December twenty two to to March twenty three. And I kind of got to I kind of got to to cheat on this a little bit because this is uh, all information from Fortune where we got to interview somebody <laughs> just a couple of days ago and we talked about this. So I was looking at that same data. If you look at housing markets and what what it did is it broke down uh, the zip codes for each state and then talked about what percentage of the state either saw increases or decreases. And so looking at markets like Tennessee, eighty three percent of the state saw prices increase from December 22nd to March 23, 83% of the state, only 17% saw a decrease. And when you're looking at what kind of a decrease, so you're seeing upwards of double digit sometimes returns, 11, 12, 13% increases, but only single digit uh, uh, decreases. And so the increases are much higher than the decreases and most of the market is increasing. And when you look at within these states, which parts of the states are seeing the actual increases? It's the areas surrounding the major cities. So the 16 or 17% that saw a decrease, well, obviously those were going to be your Nashvilles and your Memphis, right? With uh, Because that's where most people either move to or are, are living. That's where most of the competition is. And so um, you're not seeing the same increases, but the, surra- the surrounding zip codes, right? There was great opportunity there that people took advantage of. Uh, and now they're seeing their property values still go up in value and you're seeing home prices on the rise in those areas. Same thing for Georgia. Georgia, 68% of the state saw price increase. And the highest was about 15% increase, whereas only 32% of the state saw a price decrease. And that low, and the highest price decrease was only about 7%. And again, around Atlanta is where you're seeing uh, that single digit uh, kind of decline in some of the values, but areas around it, like the Macon's and those sub and those sub zip codes around uh, Atlanta, are doing really, really well as far as values concerned. Texas, same thing: sixty three on the increase, thirty seven on the decrease. Texas, in some areas of Texas, people saw values increase of twenty percent, twenty twenty three percent increases. Jeez. Um, <laughs> Kathy celebrating. <laughs> Florida was the only uh, state in the South that kind of saw the opposite. So in Florida, 34% of the states saw an increase where 66% saw a decrease. And so um, I think that has a lot to do with how many people migrated to Florida, how popular it became over that time period. 
And so you saw uh, the metrics be a little different in Florida. But when you zoom, when you zoom in and you're only looking at the past month, so we're talking February to March data, there were only three submarkets in the whole South that saw a decline in price. Whoa. The Dallas submarket, and, and Dallas was really flat because it was only 0.01% of a decrease. San Antonio at 07 and Austin at 0.72, a negative 0.72% decrease. Wow. Everything else in the South saw an increase in uh, value over the past month. And so I think this is um, obviously great news for people who bought in the areas surrounding those, those submarkets. But I think it's also good news for people that did buy in those markets, because I think if and when interest rates come down and buyer demand increases, the more metropolitan markets will start to see those increases as well. I'm not surprised. I actually made a YouTube video today about Florida and how Florida, I've said this, I think, on the show, every time I make lists like this that rank markets, Florida's like always the top five markets and the bottom five markets. It's just like, <laughs> That's so there's Florida. no way to talk about Florida in a consistent way when it comes to the housing market. Like everyone is just ridiculous and crazy. So I'm not surprised to hear that. But I guess the the theme seems to be so far, both in my research into the Northeast and what you're saying, Henry, is like it's the major metros that are really um, seeing adverse uh, conditions where any suburban, secondary, tertiary cities are still going strong, as strong as they have been for over the last, maybe not as strong as over the last few years, but are still, you know, progressing as you would expect during a normal housing market. Yeah, I was just in uh, Dallas yesterday before coming to Tennessee and uh, for our, you know, to meet with my partner there for our fund. And it's confusing because a lot of times you'll see data for a particular city and people will interpret that to meet the whole area. But, you know, what happened in Dallas is Dallas got really expensive and obviously not as expensive as, you know, where I live in California or, you know, in Seattle or Phoenix, but it's gotten really expensive compared to what it has been in the past. So a lot of people just can't afford to live there anymore, and they're moving out to the suburbs. And, and that's where the massive growth is happening in so many markets. They, they, these cities that have been traditionally not too expensive to live in are now. And, and so the growth is moving out. And that's, that's true for commercial property, too. Like a lot of the office issues that we're hearing, those are downtown high-rise offices. But in the suburbs, you know, where you still want to get your nails done or get that massage or you know, I, you know, I, I wasn't, you know, get the drip thing that Jimmy has or whatever, anything that you can't outsource, you know, you got to go get it done. Um, people living who are moving out of the cities also still need those things. I mean, James hasn't come to him though. <laughs> James does not drive to his appointments. They, they come to him. They advise me okay, not to poke well. myself. So I just don't do that. <laughs> That's a really good point though, Kathy. We really are talking in broad strokes here and trying to, to establish trends, but even within a state, even within a metro, there's going to be variances and, also worth mentioning that we are only talking about residential real estate here. This, yeah. at least me, I don't know about you guys. When I did the, I did not look at any commercial data. But it's just important when you see these statistics, you know, to look deeper and say, are they talking about the metro, like the area, or are they talking about the city? And those are two very different things. And that's why it gets confusing because you'll see uh, Tampa, you know, sales down. 
and and higher inventory, but just go outside of Tampa. <laughs> it's a different story because, again, Tampa got expensive. And a lot of people aren't moving from New York City to be in another city. You know, they're looking to be in an area where maybe they have a little bit more space, um, the suburbs. And and there's not a lot of data so much on those, you know, suburb areas, the suburban areas. Well, Kathy, let's just stay with you. What's going on in the Midwest? And how did you define the Midwest? Because, like, what? I don't even know what that means. <laughs> I know. It's so funny. I've always, I've always questioned like i'm in tennessee i actually had to look it up turns out i'm not in the midwest right now i was gonna say yeah i am but is that not. south tennessee uh yeah it's considered south at least somebody decided that um <laughs> and and i remember uh you know i work with a lot of teams in ohio and i always thought that they would be considered kind of northeast but they're considered midwest i think so i don't know it just yeah i don't know if it's so much geographic uh but you know, the heg and the headlines can be so confusing because you'll see a broad stroke of, you know, prices went down. But then when you dive into the regional data, the Midwest actually um, had sales down dramatically 5.5% uh, month over month, 17% year over year, which seems to be less than other places. But the median price went up 1.7% overall in the Midwest. Again, it's a big area. Um, and why might that be? Well, I'll I'll quiz you guys. What do you think the median price of a home is in the Midwest? Two hundred ninety-seven thousand two hundred. Ooh, that's a good guess. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go like one ninety-two. Ooh, I was gonna go the other direction. I was gonna say like three thirty-eight. I I would have probably guessed what Henry said, uh, because we work at so many of those markets and buy in those markets, and it is you know cheap. Um, but the median price is two hundred seventy-three thousand. I'm buying a lottery. He's got, James, you got to go to James. Vegas right now. Get on the plane. Who wants to go right now? <laughs> I need to buy five houses today. I'm on fire with numbers. <laughs> Chicago skewing the numbers there. Yeah, probably. And that's that's a hundred thousand dollars less than the national. So, um, you know, basically, Lawrence yeah, and the the chief chief economist of NAR um, put it really simply and. And basically said, let me quote, home prices continue to rise in regions where jobs are being added. So that would be the South. That's what's happening there. And where housing is relatively affordable. Um, so that's that's just to sum it up. It's just those things. When when you have an interest rate hike, uh, is it going to, you know, how, how differently is that? Is it going to affect people buying a $100,000 house versus a million dollar house? It'd be very, very different. And the people on the West and the expensive markets, they were already stretched. Uh, you know, they, they, when you double the payment, there's just no way, not a chance. Uh, but, you know, could you handle the difference on a $100,000 house? Possibly. Not everyone. So, I, you know, that's it. And then, of course, you've got people, these retirees and people who can work from anywhere who would just love to get into the game and, and can afford in those markets. So that's what the Midwest has for. I'll add one thing. Muncie. Muncie was uh, up 8%. And I know Muncie really well because I'd lost my shirt in Muncie. <laughs> we had an apartment there that uh, had all kinds of problems. Why in Muncie? I know, right? Uh, um, it's outside of Indiana. Um, it was a deal I should have never done. Don't even want to go into the details. That's for another, another day. But knowing that area so well, one of the issues was we had such a hard time renovating this apartment complex we bought. This city was tough on us. 
So I don't know if that's like keeping builders out and that's why inventory is so low. That's part of the issue. Inventory is almost non-existent in Muncie. Maybe builders just aren't going there because there's not huge demand or because the city council has been tough on them. Uh, whatever it is, inventory is low and, and yet people still want to own a home. Do you think also a lot of the development's not happening just because the replacement cost, you just can't build for the metrics? Like, I mean, if these get, like, yeah. build costs are still up so much, it's going to be hard to build in some of these markets. If, if the, you know, if things are selling for 200, 300 bucks a square foot, it's going to be hard to build underneath that. And so inventory is going to stay tight in those markets until the materials keep dropping. Or until, yeah, some builders incentivize to go there. If you're a national builder, you're probably not going to Muncie. It's just you, Kathy. <laughs> <laughs> just me. All right. Well, with that, let's move on to our last region for today, which is the West, of course. And for that, we're going to go with James. You know, I feel like with the West Coast, everyone is just hating on it like crazy. Uh probably because the last nine months have been a little bit miserable. But uh, I will say that I, I think that the West Coast is going to be the comeback kid of the the year. Um, there was some very interesting data points. What we're seeing in all the major metro areas, and actually the weird thing about the West Coast is a lot of the affordable markets are also following trend with the metro markets. Uh, whereas like... As we're looking in the Northeast, you're seeing things like you said, Portland, Maine's growing rapidly, you know, and then uh, whereas in Washington right now, we're seeing like the outside, like in Seattle, Seattle is down roughly, I think it was about 9% year over year coming down. And this is right when we were peaking kind of on values right now. In a more affordable area like Spokane, it's down 11%. So it's not holding that that same story isn't holding true in the in the West Coast. But one interesting thing, it, and, and across the board on all the metro cities, you know, Los Angeles is down uh, 4%. San Francisco's down 12%. Seattle's down 9 These are big drops. Uh, and when you're dealing with million to $2 million properties, that's a big, big deal. That's two to, you know, two to 400 grand they can drop when, when you start going above 10%. But there's some really interesting trends that are happening right now. And what I think we've seen is we saw in January of 2023, the West Coast kind of peaked in its worst conditions from what I'm seeing. And what we're seeing is there's three major things that have happened from this quarter to where we're at right now. And A, the median home price had dropped the most uh, during that time across the board. But the biggest thing that I'm seeing, this is a huge indicator, is days on market. And in, if we look at Seattle, or I'm looking at or like in Los Angeles right now, in January, average days on market, the consumption rate went, jumped all the way up to almost 64 days. It has trended down to 44. <laughs> so the market is consuming a lot faster. The properties are starting to be consumed. In Washington, this is a huge stat. It, it it ballooned up to 28 days. And actually, 28 days isn't that long. If, if Most investors should know the average time to sell a house in the history is 120 to 150 days. So that it's still a healthy market at that point. But at 28 days, days on market, we have uh, now we are down to an average of 16 days on market. What? 50% of the timing is gone, and we are seeing that in the market. Wow. And there's some really good trends going on right now in the West Coast. The home pricing in, in some of these stats, and these are the one things I don't like to go to. I like to watch the trends of the stats. But when you're reading the stats, you're kind of too late to the game already. 
and and things are already changing differently. What a real life example that we just had is one of our clients sold a property 90 days ago within a tenth of a mile that, of a property that we just sold. Same house, same builder, same lot, same product, exact same finishes. It took them 60 days to sell these properties with a different broker at 599 90 days ago. We just listed one at 699 within walking distance and it got bid up to 715. Wow. Model match products. Oh my God. Yeah. And, and so the trend, it, it, we, it's starting to, and these are really good trends. I don't get trapped on just the median home price and the percentages when I'm looking at buying. I'm looking at what is the market doing today. And, and what we are seeing in the West Coast across the board is all days on markets are dropping in all major metro cities uh, on the West Coast. So that means that buyers are starting to consume things again. And I really think that comes down to more like the mindset of the buyers is the West Coast buyers are a little bit more techie. They overthink things and they slow down. And now they're getting FOMO and they're jumping in rapidly. James, and you mentioned that uh, more affordable cities are not following the same trend as the rest of the country. What is like the price point of an affordable city in the West? Because from my understanding, everything is expensive. Well, in like Spokane, Washington, the, the median home price in Spokane is, is like the, the next major city in Washington. Well, it's, it's in eastern Washington, which is not, it's away from all the big metro. It costs about 40% less than Seattle on average. But the median home price was at four or is at 350000 in Spokane right oh, now. Oh, okay. Uh, and that was down 8.5% from where it was year over year. And so that's a, a lot of these affordable ones are still. I think it's more of a, a mindset of a state. They're going, everyone should freeze. And so it's, it's like, it, just because the major metro in Washington is freezing up, it's kind of freezing up the markets across the board, but they're all following the same trends. The, the interesting thing is the days on market there also did the exact same thing as the major metro cities. So the affordable markets are moving with the metro, and those are things to watch. There's actually quite a lot of affordable places, even in California, but you kind of have to live out out of it, you know, out of the cities all along Highway 5, you know, you're you're able to find deals along there in Modesto and um, probably parts of Stockton. You, you could go, I think a great, a great opportunity is Chico, California, because it's got a huge university, but prices there. But that's where my daughter bought her first home for $250,000, you know, just a couple of years ago. So it's not out of reach. And I think if you want to buy in a place like California, buy buy a school kind of out in the middle of nowhere somewhere. You know, makes a lot of sense if you if you would love to be a landlord in in California where the landlord laws are. <laughs> that's so exciting. Uh, but you know, it'd be the same in in any of those. The West is a big place too. That's like even if you cut the country up into four sections, you're still just averaging cities that are so completely different because. From a big city, just an hour inland could be very, very different pricing. There's tons of uh, of affordability in California. It's just not in the in the you know the coastal cities. But you've got a whole Central Valley. I mean, I'm I'm from Bakersfield. I just looked. The median sale price in Bakersfield was three hundred and fifty eight thousand. Right. That's an hour drive from L. A. You look at places like Valencia, which is just thirty minutes outside of L. A. Um, you know, there's tons of people living in Valencia and commuting into LA. That place is growing and stretching and you can get a home much more affordably there. Uh, you can also look down, you know, you've got Fresno and then all the way up into to Northern California, Stockton, uh, Sacramento. There's, there's lots of places where you can, 
where you can find more affordable housing in California and kind of take advantage of some of these things James is talking about. Yeah, that's that's definitely true. And if you look at, you know, there's there is it is true that California as a whole has lost some population. But again, if you dig into uh, some of the regional markets, some of the places in northern California and eastern California definitely are seeing relatively large increases in population. So similar to a lot of places, maybe in the northeast, a lot of the outflows are from the major metro areas and are to some of these secondary or tertiary cities that are a bit more affordable. Um, James, I want to get back to what you're saying just about, you know, the West Coast in general, that you think it's going to bounce back, because that's a, a sort of a pretty uh, significant thing if that happens. Um, I wanted to sort of bolster what you said there based on uh, something Henry and I heard yesterday or the other day when we talked to Lance Lambert, where he was saying that he felt that like West, the West Coast is sort of being generalized together, but he believes that there are certain markets that are like in a true correction crash, but markets like Seattle, LA, San Francisco are not them. It's like Boise, uh, maybe Austin. I think he said Phoenix as well are the ones that really um, sort of had this boom bust cycle where he was predicting that some of the markets on the West Coast, on the actual coast that are more used to really high prices um, are going to bounce back quicker because it's not as uh, different from the fundamentals of the last, you know, five to 10 years uh, as like Boise and Austin, which have just become completely different places, basically. Yeah. And I I, I, I tend to agree with them. And, uh, you know, just following these trends in, in feeling the market activity, you know, I obviously, I, I, well, I split my time in in SoCal and Seattle. Both markets are ripping right now. Where, you know, the it, they kind of settled down for a minute and now they are coming back and they're falling. I, I do think they're on a comeback. Like, you know, if you look at the median home pricing, too, from January 1 across all these cities to now, the median home price of the sales in January, like if we're looking, it, it, they, they're all 5 to 10% lower than they in, in January. And so they're trending up. Days on markets are coming down. And so those are the trends we want to follow. Where's the activity? Where's the movement? And then where's the bodies? And in our showings, we're seeing massive amounts of people coming through again, 10, 20 people. Now, they're very, they're not fast to jump in, but the bodies are there. And if the bodies are there, consumptions are down. Also, the amount of sales are down 40%, but that's because inventory is down so much as well. And so all these things are turning into this mix of the money still on the West Coast. People are going to buy it. And, and it is making its little comeback right now I, where I, I'm feeling it. All right. You heard it here first. I'm with you. I'll just follow up with what James just said. And gosh, people just so many people are sitting on the sidelines. And I just want to let you know that coming back from Texas and looking at the acquisitions we're doing there that are 30, 40, sometimes even 50 percent discounts from the prices that they were just a year ago, because these are distressed deals, obviously. These are not deals that a homeowner would buy. They're what an investor would buy. And the investor competition's not not there because we're coming in with cash, but I don't think it's going to last much longer. So uh, I can't emphasize enough, like, don't wait, don't wait. There's The opportunities are there. I, it makes me sad for people that keep waiting, thinking there's going to be some kind of massive crash coming. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you all, James, Kathy, and Henry, for all of your research. I uh, appreciate uh, all of your insights and the time you've spent helping to educate our listeners about what is truly going on in the housing market. If anyone has questions about 
the region you studied or anything at all, where can they connect with you? Henry, let's start with you. Yeah, best place to find me is on Instagram. I'm at the Henry Washington on Instagram. James? Uh, you can find me on Instagram at jdaneflips or jamesdaner.com. And Kathy? Instagram as well, at Kathy Fedke. And uh, that's kind of a way to get through all the layers. If you go to realwealth.com, there's a whole bunch of people answering things for me, but you can get me directly on Instagram. Nice. And I'm at the Data Deli on Instagram. Thank you three so much. Thank you all for listening. We really appreciate it. We'll see you next time for On the Market. On the Market is created by me, Dave Meyer, and Kaylin Bennett. Produced by Kaylin Bennett. Editing by Joel Esparza and Onyx Media. Research by Pooja Jindal. And a big thanks to the entire Bigger Pockets team. The content on the show On the Market are opinions only. All listeners should independently verify data points, opinions, and investment strategies. The housing market is changing, and finding your way right now can be a bit tricky. There are rate shifts, there are confusing headlines, but at the end of the day, your goal hasn't changed. You probably still want financial freedom as much as ever. Well, the good thing is that experienced investors know it's not about trying to time the market. It's about the amount of time you have in the market. And if you're ready to get into real estate investing game, you can still do that. Or you can take your game to the next level by finding an investor-friendly agent. With BiggerPockets Agent Finder, you can find the right agent in just a few minutes. You head over to biggerpockets.com slash deals, enter in some details about what you want, where you want to buy, and boom, you instantly get matched with an investor-friendly agent who fits the bill. These local market experts can help you navigate the neighborhoods, analyze the numbers, and take action with confidence once and for all. This free resource is only available at biggerpockets.com slash deals. Get an agent, get the deal, and get closer to financial freedom at biggerpockets.com slash deals. That's biggerpockets.com slash deals to find your investor-friendly agent today. The content of this podcast is for informational purposes only. Past performance is not indicative of future results, and all hosts and participant opinions are their own. Investments in any asset, real estate included, involves risk. Use your best judgment and consult with qualified advisors before investing. Only risk capital you can afford to lose. BiggerPockets LLC disclaims all liability for direct, indirect, consequential, or other damages arising from reliance upon information presented in this podcast.